Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Market insight and analysis. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Good Friday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm David Faber, along with Morgan Brennan and Mike Santoli. We're live from Post 9 right here at the New York Stock Exchange. Let's give you a look at futures as we get ready to open a shortened trading session today. Of course, uh, this day after Thanksgiving, you can see we are looking for a slightly lower open on all the major averages. European markets have been open for some time. Uh, Let's take a look and see uh, what the uh, tone has been like over there. As you can see, other than the FTSE, all uh, ahead for the session so far. Ten-year note yield, crude oil, you ask. And we always like to answer as well as you can take a look at our 10-year note yield, 178, and WTI remains below 60. Let's get to our roadmap this morning. It does start with, well, what you'd expect, the shopping surge. Facing a condensed holiday season, retailers raking in a record $4.4 billion online on Thanksgiving Day. This is ahead of, of course, what is traditionally the busiest shopping day of the year today. Plus, the final trading day of November, and stocks pointing to a lower open on this holiday-shortened session. And Buffett thwarted the Oracle of Omaha's latest attempt to put his cash hoard to work, attempting to buy tech data, is outbid by Apollo Global. But we're going to begin with retail's busiest day, and Courtney Reagan is at the Woodbridge Center Mall with what to expect this weekend as the holiday shopping season officially kicks off. Hey, Court. Hi, good morning. Happy Thanksgiving to you, Morgan. So here we're starting to see the second wave of shoppers come out to the mall. You know, they do those early doorbuster deals now at all the big box stores, the department stores. That's on Thanksgiving. Even had some early Black Friday deals as early as October. Still, today is expected to be the busiest day of the year for retail. That's according to both NPD and Shopper Track. 115 million Americans are going to shop today in store and online. We talked to a couple of them. Around like 10 o'clock, they picked me up and we went to like Walmart stores like that. We took like a two hour nap and then came here. I woke up at four in the morning today trying to shop and get my girl stuff and need a little PS4. Saved a lot of money. Saved around like two or three hundred dollars. It was definitely worth it. We love Black Friday, but this year we decided we're going to go all out. We had Thanksgiving dinner, then we packed everything up and we got a hotel up near this mall on purpose so that we could be here at 6 a.m. and we did it. It's a really critical weekend and day for retail. Last year, Black Friday generated 6 to 7% of total quarterly sales for a number of retailers like American Eagle and Best Buy, compared to a normal day of about 1%. So that makes Black Friday equivalent to an extra week of sales, according to 1010 data. So far this morning, Captify says that the top search for deals, Amazon Echo deals, those searches are up more than 400% from last year. Best Buy laptop, Walmart laptop deals, and Amazon Kindle deals as well. Lego is the top search for toy brand right now. Captify notes there's been particular interest also in Disney's frozen toys and some online hiccups early on. Catchpoint actually noticed that Costco.com was slow Wednesday night and then did go out briefly on Thanksgiving morning. However, we did see some heavier traffic there, so that makes some sense. H&M.com also went down for about five minutes, but that is back up 
and running now. There's still a lot of shopping and a lot of weekend left here. Morgan, I'm going to send it back down to you. Courtney Reagan, thank you. We're going to stick with retail here, and we're going to bring in our two guests, B. Riley, FBR's retail analyst, Susan Anderson, and with us at Post 9, UBS retail analyst, Michael Lasser. Good morning, and happy Thanksgiving to you both. Michael, I'll start with you. Six fewer shopping days, one less weekend between Thanksgiving and, uh, and Christmas this year. Seen a lot of sales pulled forward, uh, really right around Halloween after Halloween. How much is that going to eat into not only and pull forward, not only into this weekend, but the rest of the holiday shopping season and, and how consumers are spending? No doubt it's going to be a tricky holiday season. And don't forget, this is all happening against tariffs, a lot of inventory in the marketplace and, uh, you know, still a challenging environment for retail overall. What this means is that we're going to see a lot of promotions. We saw that starting very early. Consumers are going to be out. There's going to be clear winners and clear losers during this holiday season. Susan, are the promotions as steep as we've seen in years past? And we keep hearing about the strength of the consumer right now. Yeah, so I think a lot of the retailers, particularly within the mall, are trying to plan for flat promotions, but they definitely left some dry gunpowder in their pockets in case they have to pull out those extra promotions. So far, I would say a little over 60% of our coverage have flattish promotions. And I think those retailers that are not doing as well have kind of pushed those up a little bit and they're slightly higher year over year. But a good portion of the shopping season also comes after Black Friday. And last year we had that December lull. And I think that's when a lot of the extra promotions started to come out. Michael, tariffs, something that many of the retailers didn't have, a, have to contend with on, on many of their products this time a year ago. How is that factoring into the equation? Is it something that companies are absorbing the costs of or that are going to push out to consumers? They're engaging in a variety of different strategies. Many are pushing back on their vendors overseas to say, this is your responsibility, you handle it. Others are pushing price to the consumer with uh, varying responses from the, from the consumer. In some cases, it's having an impact of demand. And the home furnishing sector, Wayfair, was pretty open that uh, sales slowed once they started pushing price. So this is still going to be a, a, a risk that, that we're going to have to be mindful of as we get through the holiday spending season. Michael, you said there's going to be winners and losers. Yeah. It certainly seems as though that's already been the case in retail overall. Yeah. We talk about it all the time. Is anything going to change this holiday season, or are the winners going to continue to win and the losers continue to lose? What we're going to see over this holiday season is that that spread between the good and the not-so-good is going to widen. And that's because uh, the good are going to continue to do things like get engaged in ultra-fast free shipping, which is going to be very expensive for those who don't have the cost structure to offer those types of services. So the spread between the good and the not-so-good is going to widen. Susan, just along those same lines, is there any of the more traditional retailers, I mean, we, we focus so much on the in-store crush and the, the shopping experience right now. Anybody that's more traditionally uh, positioned have a chance to actually prove this holiday season that their stocks are unfairly maligned, that basically uh, they got just too cheap and neglected? Yeah, so I think a lot of the, the good retailers have invested in the technology to be able to compete from an omni-channel perspective. And really the teen retailers are the furthest ahead, probably given their customer obviously has shopped online earlier and sooner. 
So we really like um, American Eagle right here. The AE brand is really benefiting from the fashion cycle. They're offering, offering curvy denim, which is bringing new consumers into the store. Almost 30% of their sales are online. They have a number of omni-channel initiatives going on. Also, they have the Airy brand, which has been growing double digits for multiple years now. So that's our favorite in the mall for holiday this season. Michael, we keep hearing about death of the department store, yet Nordstrom's stock rallied on the heels of earnings in the last couple of days. Is it overblown? Is it overdone? I don't think the death of the department store is overblown. I think the death of the bad department store is certainly understated. We're going to continue to see that uh, play out over the next few years. Where the stocks are responding is where expectations get a little too low. And uh, when that gets overdone, we're seeing outsized reaction. But I don't think we're going to see an end to volatility of retail stocks because it's so hard to price these types of turning points in a sector. And we still have an imbalance between the supply of available places to buy goods and the demand to buy goods through physical places. Michael, you mentioned home improvement as an area where you want to watch this season. Not something we often think about in terms of the gifting season, but just describe that a little bit. You mentioned Wayfair, actually, as as one place. So we like home improvement because it's a structurally better place to be in retail over the long run. There's uh, less price competition here than in other areas. Um, in addition, uh, you know these retailers are doing a very good job from an execution standpoint. We like Lowe's as a stock. It trades at a very modest multiple relative to its growth rate. Uh, they're in the midst of a transformation and a turnaround. We think it's in the early stages, and that's going to accelerate in 2020. Susan, we've had... Sorry. Go ahead. Susan, on Monday, we're going to be sitting here talking about how Friday and the weekend looked in terms of the numbers. How important is that really going to be, given the rise, of course, over the last decade of the omni-channel of online buying? Is Black Friday overblown these days? Well, it's definitely been spread out over the course of November. We saw starting deals shortly after Halloween, and those accelerated as we got closer to this week. We're already starting to see the deals come out for Cyber Monday. So the consumer knows if they didn't get anything for Black Friday, they can wait till next week and get it during Cyber Week. So I I think it's important to set the tone of the environment, particularly for investors. But in the terms of um, shopping now and the percent of sales, it definitely has been declining each year. So it's become less important. Susan and Michael, thank you for joining us today. All right, we also want to get to tech data this morning, agreeing to be bought by private equity firm Apollo for $145 a share, valuing the company at just over $5 billion. The competing suitor in the bid, none other than Warren Buffett, a story our own Becky Quick broke earlier. She will join us at the bottom of the hour with more. Uh, but, guys, so uh, the story here is that Apollo already had, a, had an agreement uh, to acquire tech data for $130 a share, investment bankers. Uh, on a kind of standard go shop looking for other potential buyers. Um, Warren Buffett, Berkshire Hathaway, moved pretty quickly to offer 140 uh, and after which Apollo said they would pay 145 So essentially overtopping uh, Buffett. A few interesting wrinkles here, David. I mean, just in terms of the sequence of events and the fact that uh, Buffett's willing to get involved in a, a quasi-auction. Uh, now, a very small deal in the scheme of things, right? It would have only been about 5% of what Buffett has in cash sitting around. But even at that, just the idea that uh, willing to take a flyer when a deal was already in, in 
on paper. Yeah, as you point out, the what has now become the typical ghost shop. This wasn't always right. typical, but in these private equity deals, we do see that often included, which is basically the ability to continue to solicit other bids uh, during a period of time, which, by the way, still hasn't ended. December 9th is actually when oh, okay. it concludes. Uh, not that they're going to necessarily see another one. But I'm with you, Mike. It is interesting to see, even though it's a very small portion of his $128 billion in cash, He's certainly under some pressure, one would think, maybe internally, just from himself, to spend some of that money. Um, You know, I've talked about it oftentimes. If you set Berkshire up and you didn't tell anybody what it was and you just laid out $128 billion in cash, has underperformed the S&P for in the last decade, Mike? I think. Oh, yeah, if you did a point-to-point over the decade, sure. Uh, And has an 88-year-old CEO with no succession plan? You'd say, hey, you know what? That's a company open to some activism. Absolutely. Uh, but this is Berkshire, and it's, it's a not. It's structure that doesn't otherwise make sense outside of, of Buffett Ryan. And so you certainly would imagine he is anxious to put it to work, but how you do that and get the returns that he's typically accustomed to is harder to figure out. And this is an interesting piece of the, of the, of the market, right? I mean, it's kind of a prosaic yeah. business, um, you know, pretty steady but and cheap and neglected. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is this is a company that last year brought in $37 billion in revenue, but it doesn't get talked about very often. It kind of largely flies below the radar. Global distributor of tech products and services supplies small companies with uh, software, hardware. Uh, and it looks like a lot of its revenue, about 16% of its sales are tied to Apple products. Cisco and HP Enterprise make up about 11% each. Uh, but really, one of the biggest tech names that you don't necessarily pay that close attention yeah. to until you have a bidding war like a this play broad out. middleman, uh, which is kind of just a play on general you know, GDP growth, which a lot of Berkshire Hathaway kind of is right now. Absolutely. Shareholders should be thanking Mr. Buffett regardless, given yeah. the 11.5% increase that he was able to, uh, to get them. Really, Apollo was willing to pay more, kind of wonder in terms of the process itself. I guess that's why they had these ghost shops. When we return, how Best Buy is raising the stakes for next day delivery. First, though, let's give you another look at futures. We got an opening bell 17 minutes away right here. Squawk on the Street will continue after a very quick break. Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to fight rising costs of inflation or pay off your debt or anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, can help. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been helping great investors like you. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just looking for tips, Yahoo Finance makes it super easy by putting all the tools and data you need in one spot. Yahoo Finance takes a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and more. You can securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. That's how Yahoo Finance gives you insights and helps you take a look at your wealth in its entirety. That big picture perspective is what great investors need. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com, the number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com. That's YahooFinance.com. Best Buy trying to separate itself from its retail peers this holiday season through delivery. Frank Holland explains from Piscataway, New Jersey. Good morning, Frank. 
Hey, good morning to you. You know, Best Buy's increased its spending on logistics by 90% last year, and it's maintaining that spending level this year as it continues to strengthen its supply chain to meet customer demand, including demand for free next-day shipping to 99% of its customers. Now, Best Buy's not giving us exact numbers on its investment, but we know overall the industry's just increased its spending. Amazon's expected to see a $3 billion increase in costs from offering free next-day shipping this year. Walmart acquired Jet.com in 2016 for $3 billion to boost logistics and is expected to see its cost increase by $215 million this year. Best Buy's logistics spending includes metro e-commerce centers that allow it to offer 50 million customers in the New York, L.A., and Chicago areas. Free next-day shipping on orders over $35 placed as late as 8 p.m. The company boasting that's the latest deadline in the industry. The company's plan also is focused on sustainability and savings. Behind me, this is a custom box-cutting machine. Chief Supply Chain Officer Rob Bass says this is really key to long-term savings. You look at the packaging materials and the save there. You also, what a lot of people don't think about is that if you just look at the profile of these, you know, I could put about three of these in the same space as this one. So ultimately, that means we're filling up less trucks, putting less trucks on the road, and then on some of our air shipments, it's fair to say we're putting less airplanes in the air. And the company says it's reduced its cardboard waste by 40%. And this also helps to reduce it, the amount of money it spends on shipping with UPS, FedEx, and in some cases, XBO, that handles the delivery of larger items like appliances. Back over to you. All right. Well, all the major averages coming off fresh all-time highs. Let's give you one more look at futures. Again, of course, we got an opening bell 12 minutes from now. Don't forget, shortened uh, session today, 1 p.m. Eastern time close. Walk on the streets back after a couple of minutes. Summer, the best time of year, usually doesn't come with a great deal. Soaring temperatures come with soaring prices. But what if there's another way? With IKEA, your summer plans can last longer than two weeks of vacation and be more affordable. Here, everyone can have lounge chair access, no reservations needed. From affordable outdoor furniture to stylish accessories, we have all the essentials you need to soak up summer in style, no matter the size of your space. Start planning a better summer with IKEA. It's your outdoor dreams inside your budget. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. The Dow, S&P, and NASDAQ all coming off record closes on pace for their best month since June, with tech leading the gains. But how much higher can stocks melt up here as we close out the year? Kenny Polcari of Slate Stone Wealth is with us, along with Larry Glazer of Mayflower Advisors. Try to answer that one, Kenny. Um, I, I tell you, the market has really punished anybody who came into November feeling a little bit defensively positioned. It's just kind of not really giving you much of a dip, although... On Wednesday, when we got this news about um, the president going to be signing this Hong Kong human rights bill, futures backed off, but it doesn't seem like it's affecting the overall view of a potential trade deal. So where do you think that leaves us here uh, as we head into December? 
So, listen, I think today's going to be a non-event, right? It's only half a day. You'll have a lot of noise, plus the geopolitical stuff. But I think as you come into December, you're going to have the market kind of churn right here and edge higher. I actually think the market's going to end the year closer to where we are. You know, that's about 100 points better than where I thought we were going to end. But I do think based on kind of what we've seen and the way the market's acted, uh, that the market's probably comfortable right here. I think the only thing that could really throw a monkey wrench into this is if the rhetoric around December 15th gets even more heated than it's potentially already going to get because the expectation is that no deal, he's going to raise those tariffs. He's not going to certainly back off. It's just a matter of what's the rhetoric around raising those tariffs uh, if and when he does. I think that will be kind of the next leg of which way the market goes. And, Kenny, just to be clear, 100 points ahead of where we you thought we'd be on the S&P? Yeah, I thought, you know, I thought yeah. the market was going to close somewhere between 3,000 and 3,025. Where are we right now? At 3,150, yeah. right? So, 3,150 so, yeah, so, yeah, I think we're, yeah, we're, we're about 100 points, 120 points better than what I kind of expected. But, look, I'm down here yeah. in Florida. What do I know? <laughs> uh, Larry, uh, you know, is it just about not overthinking it? I mean, it seems like everyone can point to the seasonal strength, the fact that you have sort of the Fed out of the way, bond yields really low, uh, we got through earnings season. I mean, is the risk uh, here into December continuing with that trade or fighting that trade? Look, a funny thing happened on my way to the mall today. I saw Fed Chairman Jay Powell dressed as Santa Claus taking a victory lap around Target. At Black Friday, and I think it speaks to the idea that everyone talks about the consumer saving the U.S. economy this year. The consumer, two-thirds of the economy, wages are good, unemployment's at 50-year record low, all those great things. But it was the central banks around the world that allowed the consumer to cash the checks that they've been writing at this holiday season. And I think it's a very dangerous concept because it's that Fed and central bank policy that's driven certain sectors of the market, like the defensive, like REITs, like utilities, all those to really high and lofty levels. But in a third year of a presidential term, we may have seen peak liquidity. The stimulus from around the world is having a diminishing benefit in these, in these central banks. And they're worried that we're encouraging too much savings. So I think it's about rotation from here on in. It's about rotation away from some of these liquidity beneficiaries into more cyclicals, into more industrials, into areas like international you know, I'll tell you, we talk about tariffs with Kenny. One of my concerns is not so much Black Friday, it's Small Business Saturday. I worry that the tariffs are beginning to have more of an impact on small businesses in this country that can't absorb all of those tariffs. You know, small business is half of the economy. We need to be more concerned about how it affects those companies rather than the headlines in the S&P 500 right now. Kenny, if the U.S. and China don't get to a phase one trade deal before the end of the year, you see another round of tariffs kick in. Is the market ready for absolutely. it? Yeah, listen, I think the tariffs are absolutely going to kick in if we don't have a deal because he's basically laid it out. I mean, he cannot back down now because that would be viewed certainly from China's point of view as him caving. And certainly we know he's not going to cave. But that being said, I do think that the market is is recognizing the fact that we may not get this trade deal. So might you get the market to back off a little bit? I think yes, but I don't think by any stretch you're going to get you're going to see the market crash or correct if if uh, the tariffs come on December 15th by any stretch. I think you do get some pressure and some volatility around it like I said, but I think in the end you know the market will be fine. No, and oh, I think Kenny, Kenny makes a really Larry, good point. Stick you had- with us. All right, guys, hang right there. We're going we're gonna to have you stick with us. We're going to continue this conversation after a quick break. Take one more look at the futures. 
right now, edging slightly lower, but coming off of those record highs that the S&P, the Dow, and the Nasdaq all hit on Wednesday before Thanksgiving. Opening bell is just a few minutes away. You're watching CNBC. Squawk on the Street. We're live from the financial capital of the world. We're going to have an opening bell in a minute and a half. Always a nice day here at the New York Stock Exchange. Uh, everybody brings in their families, a lot of young kids, as you can see, running around the floors, fun activities for them to do. And what I particularly like is there's free coffee and foods. So don't get that too often, Mike. <laughs> no. Uh, where you get it once a year. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> That's right. Once a year. Uh, you know, it's uh, we just looking at the indexes initially. Um, you know, Wednesday evening, we get this headline about the president going to sign this Hong Kong bill. Just a reflex move. Futures trade lowered about 3140 or so in the S&P. And then had a day to think about it. We're, we kind of are weaker today, but really it doesn't seem like anything responding to uh, too much. People think that there's a momentum for something at least cosmetic on a deal. And just, I think, um, you know, this sense of every day uh, people feel less fully invested because the market keeps going up without them. So we'll see if that's really been a November phenomenon or if, in fact, in December we still have this continued spiral higher just because people are riding that season of your, your comparisons with last December, of course, have to come to mind. 180 degree difference. Yeah. 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 We're at the highs. Everything's very calm. The volatility index is below 12. Um, and investors are pretty complacent, arguably, for good reason. Friday, of course, you can see the S&P 500 real-time exchange back at our headquarters. Here at the big board, that was American Express celebrating its 10th annual Shop Small Business Saturday. I think you just heard somebody reference that. Over at the NASDAQ HF Foods Group, a food service distributor to Asian restaurants in the United States. Kenny Polkari and Larry Glazer are both still with us as well. And Kenny, I'll go to you. Modestly lower on all the major averages today, but we're still on pace for the best month since June for the S&P, the Dow, and the NASDAQ. How does that play out until the end of the year? So I think we are. You know, I still think Santa Claus is coming. Some people feel like he's already came. The market's up almost 4 4.5% across the averages just in the month of November themselves. But like I said, I think there was this I think there was this underinvestment as we moved into the end of the year. People were being much more cautious maybe than they should have been. And so now there's this catch up playing as we move into it. And so I think I think the Santa Claus rally is alive and well, which is what makes me think that we're gonna stay right about here. I don't think we're rallying another three or four percent this month in December, but I do think that the market's gonna back off with it and then churn and end the market right about here. So uh, I'm all good with it. You know, and I think, I think Kenny makes a really good point. Look, yeah, there's three and a half trillion dollars worth of cash sitting in the on the sidelines in money market yields, and every day those money market yields tick a little bit lower, and the market ticks a little bit higher. And I think it speaks to the idea that the gift of stock, which is the best gift you can give this holiday season, is a lot more expensive than it was last year, and it's getting harder and harder to give that gift as Warren Buffett found out today in his failed acquisition. And I think people should be mindful of valuation at the same time they're looking at momentum. And valuation is a much more difficult conversation in the S&P 500 today, especially if liquidity starts to come away from the market. Larry, uh, you said in the S&P 500, just curious, one of the things people have been fixated on is the smaller cap stocks, Russell 2000, finally breaking above a one-year range. Uh, We've seen these kind of head fakes before, if that's what this is, but do you think that's actually relative value? 
You know, I think it's a very relevant point, and I'm glad you brought it up. And we've talked about this idea that the market is moving towards this barbell approach where investors are so blindly following the S&P 500, they don't even care what's in it anymore. They don't even care what the valuations are. Or they're in private deals because they're afraid of the market. And the truth is, it's the middle of the boat where it's less volatile and there are more opportunities. And we see volatility picking up next year, but that volatility also brings opportunities. So small cap stocks have been left for dead. There's plenty of really good businesses there, especially if tariffs are resolved. I think you have an opportunity for the market to broaden out here. Instead of looking at a market cap uh, composition where it's just the big companies driving the rest of the market, it's it's a more even keel market. We get mid caps driving, small caps driving. I'm much more excited about that type of market because it's less blindly valuation agnostic. Right. But Larry, if... Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, but Larry, if there is this, these tariffs that are coming in December 15th, like we said in the last segment, is that maybe those small cap companies, those smaller companies are going to be the ones that are a little bit more difficult. So I think your point is yep. correct because I think it has underperformed, but I think you have to be very specific, right? You just can't broadly yep. go in. That's right. That's right. And, you know, another good point. I think that that is a great point. If you look at this time of year, it's typically when you see tax loss selling. So mutual funds are doing tax loss harvesting. Mutual fund distributions this year are going to be very, very high. There's very few losses to offset those gains this year. So you'll have a muted January effect that we typically count on. And you'll have more muted tax loss selling this year. And I think it, it actually could calm the market towards the end of last year. Very different than what we saw last year. Totally different paradigm. And I think that's a good thing for investors who need to sleep easy this holiday season. Tanny, we've also seen a number of companies go public this year. We've seen how many of those stocks have performed. Not necessarily as strong as would have been anticipated uh, before they actually came to market as well. How do you think that continues to play out into next year, especially when you've got some really big names like Aramco still to come to market? Yeah, listen, you do have some big names, but I think a lot of that IPO story, I think part of it was their own fault, right? A lot of them had built up, there's been all this conversation about these unicorns and these unicorns and how exciting, and they built up all this expectation. And then in the end, you know, they weren't necessarily, as you look under the sheets, they weren't necessarily uh, the stories that, you know, everyone's been talking about. And look, WeWork is the perfect example. That was a complete disaster. The fact that it didn't come IPO just because once you looked under the sheets, you realized what it was, right? So I think IPOs will still be, uh, still going to be, you know, there next year. It's relevant. A lot of stories. Saudi Aramco, I don't think it's going to be as big of a deal here in the U.S., uh, partly because they're not coming to the U.S., right? It's going to be more of a global story. That one is going to be very yeah. interesting to watch, though, as we exactly see what right. happens then in the energy hey, space. Look, Kenny, 2019 was supposed to be the year of the IPO. It was the year of the failed right. IPO. Look across the, the board exactly. how disappointing these deals were. It was Uber. It was exactly. Lyft. It was Dro- you know, Dropbox exactly. last year. You had Sonos last year. You had uh, Airbnb. We're still waiting to see. But a lot of these businesses, we work. Basically showed you the public markets are much more transparent. The public markets can tell you where value is. The private markets are rainbows and unicorns. That's where we pretend about valuation. But Larry, Larry, don't you think there's also been a shift within the public market and how investors in the public market are actually looking at these companies as well? I think there's, yes, but if I think, we worry there's too much money in the, pri- in the public market, there's way too much money in the private market. That's the problem. Right. I will take the public market any day of the week. You know, 
Private equity is a tough game. People start to think it's an easy game. It's not. Venture capital is a very difficult game. It's just the returns have been so high for so long, everybody wants a piece of that. And I think that's going to be the story is people are going to go back to the public markets and realize that that was, that was the loser's game. That was the game that was the rigged game, not the public markets, which is a safer place to be for investors. But look, and that, and that plays right out. You saw it in Uber, Lyft, and you saw it in WeWorks, that the private market is valuing these companies at much higher multiples than the public That's market exactly right. is valuing them, and it, and it plays yep. out perfectly. Yep. Yep. Right, and guys. WeWork was the extinction burst that blew up all of those unicorns and rainbows. Yeah, and uh, you know, the, uh, the public markets remained uh, inoculated uh, from, for now anyway, guys. We'll see how That's it goes exactly next right. year. Happy Thanksgiving, Kenny and Larry. Thank you, thank you very much thank for you. being thank with you. us. Just yeah. going to mention in the early going, um, obviously a little bit of profit taking happening, about two thirds of stocks down. Apple down a little over half a percent, uh, 70 basis points right now. Uh, to me, that's always the, one of the tells for are people just buying to get involved with the obvious big large cap uh, names? That's actually giving back from an all time high. So a uh, little bit of a, of a rest for the indexes. Yeah, it's definitely risk off today. Three sectors that are in the green in the S&P, it's utilities, real estate and consumer staples. And, uh, and, and, of course, as you might expect in a day like today, uh, Walmart is uh, opening higher, up about uh, two-thirds of a percent as well. Yeah. Amazon barely in the green as well. Um, look, yeah, two chairs. All right. Let's, uh, let's move on for a second here as well. Uh, talk a bit about Warren Buffett because uh, he lost out in a bid to Apollo uh, or a bid to buy uh, a company called Tech Data. Lost out to Apollo. Our Becky Quick brought us that story. She broke it earlier this morning, and she joins us now with more. You know, it's not a huge company, Becky, but it's an interesting story uh, in that, obviously, it includes Buffett and his desire, at least, to start spending some of that huge war chest he has. You know, I, I think that's what really jumped out to me, too, David. We've got the exclusive details on this, but uh, I, I think what's so important is so many people have been wondering what happens to Buffett's uh, cash hoard. It had $128 billion, according to the most recent filings from the SEC, and people have been wondering wondering what's he going to do with this money. This deal wasn't a huge one, but I think it's interesting because it's a different place for Buffett and Berkshire to be playing. This is a deal where on Wednesday, Tech Data Corporation uh, announced pretty quietly that Apollo had agreed to buy the company for $145 a share. That valued this company at $5.14 billion when you take out, uh, when you take out the, the debt that would be included with this as well. And that was a sweeter offer than the original one that Apollo had put forth. They originally agreed to pay $130 a share. Uh, there was an undisclosed bidder that came in in the meantime, uh, but that bidder happened to be none other than Berkshire Hathaway's and, and Warren Buffett. So uh, the deal that they had come in with uh, was for $140 a share, and this was a deal that came together pretty quickly for Berkshire Hathaway. They were first approached by Bank of America, who put out a call to Todd Combs at uh, Berkshire Hathaway, just saying, hey, we've got a, a go shop provision in this. Would you be interested? Uh, Buffett took a look at it and within a day was ready to say, sure, he'd bid up to $140 a share. Greg Abel, the vice chairman at Berkshire Hathaway, swung into action, went down to Florida to meet with Tech Data and the management team there. And uh, without really seeing much more than they already knew about this company at that point, they were ready to make an official bid by Saturday, the following day. 
they really just picked up Apollo's contract, changed a few things, and said, okay, here's how we run with it. So they didn't even bring a law firm in. There was uh, not a huge amount of process that took place on that, but it's because they, um, you know, they know these companies so well and follow this industry so closely. So it's interesting just from the perspective that things could happen very quickly, and obviously Buffett's looking around for other places to make deals. Back in May of this year, Buffett told us that uh, when he looked at things, of course he would rather buy stocks than buy treasuries. That was a, a decision that he said took him a nanosecond to make. But he said when looking at outright purchases of companies, he thought the premium there had gotten really big, and a lot of that's because of how much liquidity is out there and how much competition there is to buy companies outright. Again, it's, it's interesting and different. He usually doesn't get involved in bidding wars, and um, it's just a new place for us to be kind of watching to see what he does next. You know, Becky, as you point out, of course, his ability to move quickly also is unique in a sense. I can remember that from the Occidental Petroleum deal. They wanted to raise $10 billion in a weekend, essentially. Who do you go to? Who gets it done? Mr. Buffett does. Of course, the cost for them, 8% a year. Um, but it does point, as you, as you say, to this enormous cash pile. I mean, even if he'd done this deal, it would have been virtually nothing in yeah, terms of really, really taking down right. the 128. What do you hear, you know, given how well you know this company and Mr. Buffett, in terms of his ambitions to really try to figure out something to do with this money? You know, I think they're opportunistic. I, I think he has always been really patient, always very willing to sit on the sidelines. And even when everybody else is making a lot of money, if he doesn't think the, the price is right, if he doesn't think the pitch is right over the plate, he's not going to swing. Now, that has led to some disappointments over the short term. It certainly made people question his judgment on things. But his point is that over the long haul, you don't overpay, and that's how you are able to continue to perform. Obviously, the numbers have gotten a lot bigger. $128 billion is a lot of money to try and put to work. And he said himself over the years that it's going to be harder and harder to outperform the market when you're talking about such big numbers that have been put to work. But what he's been doing to this point, I, I think, is interesting, and that is buying additional shares of companies that tend to buy back a lot of stock. Apple comes to mind. That is now Berkshire Hathaway's biggest position that they hold in shares of Apple. And Apple, obviously, has been buying back a ton of cash. He looks at it as more of a consumer company at this point, but what they've been doing with services I think is very interesting too. It's not necessarily just how many iPhones or iPads you sell in any quarter. Um, so to me, it's, it's a constant evolution in terms of what Buffett and Berkshire are willing to do in terms of how they play in the market, in terms of what investments they're willing to make. Yeah. Becky, you just mentioned Apple and certainly Berkshire Hathaway's invested in, in a number of tech companies at this point. Given the fact that the company owns so many different entities across so many industries, how unusual would it be to actually see them acquire a tech company specifically? Um, you know, I think if you look at it, it's probably not that different than uh, some of the other units that they have. And again, these are such broad-based, you're right, they're in so many different places. But this is kind of like TTI, which is another middleman. Uh, which sells lots of different SKUs and works with lots of different uh, companies along the way, too, lots of different customers. What's interesting about tech data, and I didn't realize this until I started digging into it yesterday, um, they're middlemen who are really just taking and selling to smaller companies some of the products that these bigger technology companies have to offer. I think Apple makes up Apple products make up 16% of their sales. Then they've got Cisco and HPE, which make up 11% each of their sales. And it's interesting to look at tech data from that perspective, but just being kind of a, a good bellwether of who's doing well, whose fortunes are up, and whose fortunes are down in the technology sector as well. And that's kind of interesting in itself. Yeah. You know, Becky, you mentioned uh, Buffett's and Berkshire's evolution. Yeah. I mean, you've pointed this out many times. They don't like to participate in auctions no. or in, a, in any sort of... And yet they came in here knowing, of course, there was already a deal with 
another company. Right. Can we assume that that's a change or is this a one-off? Well, I, look, I, I, I think that they'd be very open to somebody calling them up and saying, you know, we have to shop this around. Here's the go shop provision. Take a look at it. If they think it's an underbid, they'll bid over it. But notice that they are not bidding twice. They aren't getting into a big bidding war for it. Here's what we think is fair value for the company. And then we back off. You know, Buffett is somebody who is not known for overpaying for deals. And in fact, uh, a lot of people probably call him cheap. So if he looks at it and sees value, he thinks that he can still make money at this. Um, it's interesting, I think. And I, I think I heard you point this out earlier, too, David. Apollo was able to come back and say, OK, we'll take it for 145. So I think they had a pretty good price going into this, which is probably, again, why you have this go shop provision. I think that's part of Delaware law that you actually have to shop it around when it's an undisclosed law up to the undisclosed deal up to that point. Um, yeah, it's been a it's been a a part of most private equity deals at this point, and certainly yeah. in this case, as you point out, Becky, a profitable one for existing shareholders who can at least thank Mr. Buffett for another fifteen bucks. Right. Uh, Becky, thank you for all Thanks, your reporting. David. Good to see you guys. Meantime, let's get to Dom Chu now on the floor with more on what's moving this morning. Hey, Dom. All right. So, Morgan, what we've got is a market that's kind of pulling back, but still very near those record high levels. And as you can see here, a little bit of red across the board fractionally. So not a sell off, but still Dow Industrials right now down about one quarter of one percent. Same thing for the S&P 500 and Nasdaq. We're still well above that thirty one hundred mark for the S&P 500. So this is, again, a pullback from those record high levels. Now, if we take a look at over the past month or so, what is really been driving these markets towards these record highs. You take a look at the Dow, the S&P 500, and the Nasdaq. Again, 4% gains in November. S&P, 4%, 5% in the Nasdaq overall. So this has been a broad-based move higher in the stock markets. As for what's driving the action, pushing those markets towards those record highs, certain key sectors are in focus. Let's talk about technology, the big one, up 6%. You guys have mentioned Apple down just a little bit today. Still, though, a big part of this market move higher. Healthcare up 5% and financials up 5% as well. Those are all generally cyclical sectors with the exception of maybe healthcare. You could argue more defensive, more more oriented towards dividends payments. But utilities, look at that one, down 2% there. So very much a risk trade happening, risk aversion a little bit off the table. Now let's take a look at some of the stocks that have been really moving this. Take a look at Dow Movers so far. Disney up 17%, United Health Group up 11%. But meanwhile, you've got Consumer products companies like P&G down 2%, down 5% for Cisco, and down 5% for HP. So the Dow is a really shifting dynamic going on right now. And, of course, today, being Black Friday and all, has to be about the retailers. Many of the biggest volume pre-market movers on a lighter volume day, albeit, have been the retailers. No surprise there. A lot of people focusing on these types of companies on this particular time of the year. So take a look at Walmart, Amazon, Target, Macy's, and Kohl's. All of these guys kind of in some way getting some action today because of that retail holiday rush. These guys will be in focus. I will point out, guys, that Target and Macy's right here, this is an interesting one because this represents the best performing year-to-date company in the S&P 500 consumer discretionary sector from a retailer standpoint, up 90%. And, guys, Macy's, the worst performing retailer in the S&P 500, down 48%. Imagine if... You put a Paris trade on in some of those guys. David, Morgan, Mike, and I'll send things back over to you. Thanks, Dom. Mike, he's giving you a little bit of a run for your money with that Telestrator action right there. He's, he's all right. You know, he's doing his left hand, too, which I always have to reach across <laughs> my body. So his technique, I'll have to take uh, a few pointers. We'll see you over in the pod a little later, Dom. Thank you. Uh, let's now get over to the bomb pitch. Rick Santelli at the CME Group in Chicago. Good morning, Rick. 
Good morning, Mike. You know what jumps out at most of us when we look in the rearview mirror at how interest rates have behaved, not only for the month of November, but for the last couple of months? Well, I'll show you. Let's take October 1st, start date. Look at two-year note yields. And other than the volatility right in the middle of that chart, which was the last Fed ease, October 30th, we had some movement going into that meeting, some movement going out. It's been very compressed. Matter of fact, right now, two-year note yields are up one on the day and up one on the week. Let's look at 10-year, a little bit wider spray pattern on that chart, but virtually the same thing. Lots of volatility around that 1030 Fed meeting going in and going out, but also very flat, up one on the day, up one on the week. Boons, very similar as well. As a matter of fact, it is really starting to have very little volatility close to close. Guess what boons are? Yes, you guessed it. Up one on the day, up one on the week. Finally, we come to the dollar index. And this had a really rough October, but very quietly in small chunks, it's been coming back. As it sits now, it's at seven-week highs. Mike, David, Morgan, back to you. Rick Santelli, thank you. Still to come, prime time for Jeff Bezos. A look inside Amazon's holiday shopping strategy next. Don't go anywhere. Squawk in the Street is back after a quick break. It is the last trading day of the month. Major averages backing off slightly from all-time highs. You see the Dow down about one-third of 1%, S&P 500 down a quarter of a percent, NASDAQ also a bit lower. Uh, S&P, though, up about 3.5% for the month of November. Squawk in the Street is back in less than three minutes. Stay with us. Welcome back. Is Prime really Prime? That's the question investors are asking about Amazon as the holiday shopping season officially kicks off. Deirdre Bosa is in San Francisco with more on Amazon's strategy this year. Hey, Deirdre. Morgan, we are looking at this question through the lens of some of the most popular items this year. Courtney Reagan told us this morning that air fryers may be this year's instant pot. So we checked out the Ninja AF-161 Max at Amazon and Target costs $99.99. Amazon with the delivery advantage Monday versus nearly a full week later from Target. Walmart, which is giving Amazon a run for its money with next day delivery, lists it for 15 bucks more and doesn't actually have it in stock. Mike, on your holiday shopping list, you are looking for a pair of Nike Women's Air Jordan mids for the sneakerhead in your life. This case, you hit a sensitive spot. Earlier this month, Nike severed its deal with Amazon, so you can only get this shoe at a higher price point from a third-party seller on Amazon called Sucream, which had a number of negative reviews over the last 12 months and shipped sometime between December 6th and December 13th. Now, Nike itself has been leaning into the direct-to-consumer strategy of working with startups on the e-commerce process. So you can get free shipping and returns through the site, but here's the catch. They're sold out in most sizes. So, Mike, your best bet may be Foot Locker. Price is right, $110, same as on the Nike website. Plenty of sizes available, and it ships for free in five to six business days. But this Nike example, guys, represents one of Amazon's biggest challenges. As it struggles with knockoffs and gray market items on the platform, more brands could decide that listing their products on the platform just isn't worth the convenience. Morgan and David, I did not forget about your shopping lists. I will take a look at them a little bit later on. Back to you. Thank you. Hope my daughter's not watching right now. I know. I, I made mine generic. I didn't say who it was for. Although I hope I nobody's I watching did. either when Deirdre gets to mine as well. But those are not for you. Uh, the, the, the women's men. Yeah. No, no, no. 
You've been listening to the opening hour of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.